This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Uh, we're kind of together. Hopefully this is a little better audio than we had last time. Uh, Tony, are you still there? I believe I'm still here. Uh, barely physically. I'm still barely suffering from the bubonic crud. So if I have a coughing fit, I will try to do that without uh, into the microphone. Okay. Well, that, I, I appreciate that. Thank you for not uh, crudding into the microphone. Uh, so let's, uh, <laughs> we didn't talk about the state of the union last time we talked and there was a little bit of a, eh, a childish behavior, shall I say at the end? <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> charitable. <laughs> well, I, I just feel like maybe that's something we should uh, address. And so Donald Trump gave his, his state of the union, obviously, and I think it was the oddest state of the union just from a context standpoint that the next day the Senate was going to vote on whether to impeach him or not, or whether to convict him of impeachment. Would that not be the oddest thing to stand in? You're giving the state of the union about half, a little over half of the house members can't stand you and want to want to get rid of you. And you know, a little less than half of the Senate same way. Would that not make it a little odd? awkward to give a state of the union do you think that's i don't think so you would feel as well i mean it's a strange it's a strange situation but i think it's telling that of course everyone already everyone knew even before they presented their articles of impeachment what the end game was going to be here which is that he was never going to be removed from office so politically what what again i assume what they expected to accomplish is now they can say that he's tainted by an impeachment but if you look at the polling, if that was their plan, it completely backfired because I think in the, in the, the most recent Gallup poll that was taken immediately after the um, state of the union. Uh, and then even when he was then, you know, finally they voted. And of course he wasn't removed. Only Mitt Romney was uh, the sole person that voted to uh, convict on one of the two charges. His, his approval ratings are now higher than they have ever been after this entire fiasco. From you know, so we went right from Russia to the Ukraine phone call. This was all supposed to destroy him politically, and he's in the best position he has ever been. Now, isn't that odd when you when you think about that? In the, in our history of impeachments, I, I don't remember what Bill Clinton's numbers were post impeachment, but I don't I don't remember anybody touting that they were better than prior. I think his honeymoon ended in ninety four, but mostly he didn't. He just kind of limped to the end of his term if i remember correctly well but i also think i I, I don't remember the exact polling but i do think though there was also impeachment fatigue as it related to clinton and of course at that point in time the media was invested in making sure that that impeachment was portrayed as nothing but a you know puritanical witch hunt and of course you know it's private behavior we had all these (laughs) justifications even though i i would point out that president clinton Clinton committed a crime. He yes. he was convict. He perjured himself under oath. He lied under oath. That is a federal crime uh, that was admitted. That's exactly what happened. So, what he did 
uh, in my view. And by the way, I was not somebody who thought that he should be impeached and removed from office either. I, I did. I mean, I was not a fan of Bill Clinton, but I also thought that 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 entire process, as it always does, became politicized. So this sure. this impeachment uh, was even more shambolic in the sense that there was no crime. They couldn't even keep their uh, their story straight in terms of what he was actually being accused of doing. You have a guy who is the most hyperpartisan member of Congress leading the charge. And you and I talked about this, I think the other week, they never got the American public on board with this Mm-mm. partially because they have spent three years demanding he be impeached for anything they could think up. So by the time they roll this out, no one's even listening to them. And then they pick the most polarizing individual they could possibly put forward. And remember, they're making their case not to all the applauding CNN anchors, but to right. presumably the Senate. The Senate are the fact finders, the ones that actually have to remove. And so who do they trot out there as their leading advocates, Jerry Nadler and Adam Schiff? <laughs> so uh, if your goal is to con- – and, and I think it's because they already knew it didn't matter. So this was all just a political circus their attempt to damage him again. And yet again, they miscalculated. And actually this is probably the best thing that could have happened to him. Well, I I agree with what you're saying and, and you make a good point that the American public never got on board with this, at least not the sane American public, the insane American public was whatever. They were already on board. Yeah, they, they didn't care. They, so they there's no to political advantage to making them happier and appeasing them because if your goal is to win an election, they don't matter because you already they're already counted in your corner. Well, and, right? and yeah, I, I agree with that. I think uh, so. Getting back to what happened after the State of the Union, uh, Nancy Pelosi takes the speech, the handed to her. Somebody said by law. I don't. I don't know if it's by law. It has to be handed to her, but it was handed to her like it always is. And she tore it up. Now her excuse later was it was all lies. And I didn't plan to tear it up until I started reading it. And it was all lies. Well, <laughs> I, I listened to the speech. I, I didn't hear. I heard bombast because that's Trump. I heard probably exaggeration. I didn't hear the outright lie, lie, lie. Like she was trying to imply. Well, but you again, think she Chad, tore this up be because of it. Is the State of the Union – I guess that we have historical precedent that every State of the Union is filled with nothing but rigorous truth, no political embellishment, right? That's never happened before. I mean so the idea that yes, of <laughs> course it's all exaggeration. Of course it's a political um, – you know, it's, it's a venue where the sitting president is touting all of his policies, no matter what party he's in, Obama did the same thing. Everyone does the same thing, right? It's it's political exaggeration. Right. Many of the numbers that are used are questionable at best because it's everything can be spun one way or another. Again, though, her her little tantrum. Who do you think it, was that supposed to hurt Donald Trump? Because all it accomplished was making her look like a petulant child. That's it. So what? Well, again, she's supposedly this political and it, it looked, made her right? look exactly like what she is. Well, well, <laughs> political masterminds so a stretch, if, if but you're, sure. If you're playing, if you're playing three dimensional chess, what is the point? What is the benefit to her or her party that comes out of her acting in that fashion? In my view, nothing. 
other than again, no. your, your fellow travelers are standing up and cheering. Yeah. You stuck it to the Donald, you ripped up his speech. And yet most of the people that she needs to persuade in a general election are looking at that and saying, are you kidding me? This is one of the leaders of the democratic party behaving in this fashion. Well, I, I think when you do that, you, you lower yourself to the level you claim Donald Trump is at. So exactly. let's assume Donald Trump is base. You just, you just lowered that. So you no longer have the high ground when you act like a child. Now I would admit Tom, Donald Trump acts like ch a child in many circumstances. He acts very petulant, but you don't do yourself any credit. Not that Nancy Pelosi could, because obviously she's, she's Nancy Pelosi, but you just don't really look like a good, a leader. Leaders don't stand up and rip up the speech of their opponent in front of them or behind them. In this case, I, it just feels like, they couldn't, they knew they weren't going to win the next day. So this was her chance to play to the base and say, see, I, I did this. And it, it, I don't know. It didn't, it I didn't think land probably the way she expected. Well, first of I all, I, I do think it was calculated, but I also think that part of it was they are so beside themselves with rage that, that none of this, you know, they have fired everything in their arsenal at this guy. They have the media cheerleading for them 24-7, carrying their water, promoting every ridiculous story or legitimate, it doesn't matter, and nothing has worked, right? It has been right. their mission from day one, remove him, destroy him, undermine him, and yet after all of this, after two years of Mueller and then this ridiculous Ukrainian phone call, that they're in a position now in the run-up to an election in what, eight months and they're in the worst position possible, which I think for them is unfathomable. They can't, they can't understand how he keeps doing this to them. Well, I, is it, to me, it feels like he just doesn't, you know, most politicians, they go, Oh, I got, I got caught. I'm going to be apologetic. He doubles down every time you think you've got him on the ropes. He just doubles down. I'm like, yeah, I said, and it. you know what? Yeah. You're right. And, and so that wouldn't work if no. you actually had an opposition that behaved like adults and were focused on the things that were genuine issues with Donald Trump. And there are many, we have said this repeatedly, but instead because of their infantile behavior, their hysteria, right? Every, every day we're told it's, you know, it's, it's Hitler. It's a tyrant. The world is ending. He's killing millions. He's going to imprison the press, whatever the latest fake outrage is. And so they have lost any credibility. And so when he behaves like this, even a person that is inclined not to like him looks at him and says, okay, yeah, I know what Donald's about. And there he goes again, you know, going off half cocked on Twitter, but then they observe the behavior of the people that are opposing him and they think they're actually worse. Yeah. You're hundred percent right. And this is, this is what amounts to an opposition at this point. And it's not going to go anywhere. Now, well, I want to bring up some of this from the state of the union is okay. So Donald Trump knows what he's doing. He's a showman. And in fact, I read a funny piece where someone was comparing it to, it almost became like a game show, like they're handing out prizes to people, right? So of course, one of the things he does, he gives Rush Limbaugh the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Rush Limbaugh announced that he has uh, pretty aggressive cancer. Of course, all of his enemies, because they're despicable people, are you know cheering that he's going to die. But what does Trump do? So he knows this is going to make them very angry. <clears throat> but even when he's talking about the things that are genuinely good, in America right now, 
right? He's talking about the economy. He's talking about the historically low black unemployment. He's talking about all of these good things. He's honoring genuine heroes. Now, whether you think it's too much of a spectacle, this is all entertainment, that's fine. But And then what does the camera show? Are the Democrats capable of applauding things that are good for America? No, because they're more interested. Their hatred for this guy is so all-consuming that, again, they act contrary to their political instincts, and now they've given a whole bunch of video clips of them sitting on their hands, frowning, as Donald Trump says, all of these good things that are going on. And somebody who's a genuine adult should be able to stand up and say, you know what, there are good things that are actually going on in America right now. Even though I'm stridently opposed to Donald Trump and his presidency, I can at least acknowledge like a rational person that some of the things that are going on here are actually really good for the African-American community, for whatever, but they're incapable of doing that because all they see is like a red mist when they look at him. And so they can't even act out of self-preservation and think to themselves, what does this look like to middle, middle America independent voter who's undecided? And what it looks like is a party that hates Donald Trump far more than they actually like America. Well, you're hundred percent right. If you, if you can't applaud the good things because it's not politically expedient for them. So if, if the economy does well, they don't have a cudgel to beat the sitting president with. So I, I agree. And, and I'm going to be fair here. I think when Clinton was in power, when Obama was in power, I think some of the Republicans acted maybe not exactly the same, but they did act uh, less than enthusiastic if there was something positive from either of those presidents. Like, Sure. I'm not saying that that doesn't go on on both sides, but I don't right. think we have ever seen this level the level of sort of reflexive animosity to everything and anything. It doesn't matter what he does. They will never give him credit. And so if everything is bad, then you really have no ability to critique him at all. No. Well, we've said this before. If he doesn't talk, he's bad. If he talks, he's bad. So he's bad just by existing. And that's not, you're never going to make anybody happy. They, they're still stuck in 2016 and they still can't believe they lost. So it never changes because they can't imagine a world in which they did not win and they did not win. And the way things are going for 2020, I think they can expect another four years of not winning. So well, I, particularly if, uh, you know, if the 78 year old socialist is at the top of their ticket. Well, before we get to that, I, w- I just want to, well, let's talk about that. So the 78 year old socialist, didn't win Iowa. Okay. Now think about what that means. Pete Buttigieg, I guess, technically won Iowa. That's a caucus state where enthusiasm is actually how you win the vote, such as it is. So Bernie Sanders, who seems to embolden a certain fraction of the Democratic Party, did not win a state where enthusiasm for that candidate it would be most beneficial. Does that surprise you that Buttigieg won Iowa? No, and no, why? he is. I mean, he has a limited appeal. Um, and we've talked about this, that each one of their potential front runners, which is why they're in a panic, have huge sort of devastating problems in terms of their ability to appeal to a general electorate. And that, you know, they're deathly afraid. I'm talking about the democratic establishment of Bernie. Because they yeah. understand, you know, you have people now like Carville and Chris Matthews who are coming out and saying, listen, 
you know, I mean, did you see the rant? Did we talk about this? That Chris Matthews went on on an MSNBC panel where he actually said, listen, you know, I'm a liberal, but I was around during the Cold War. Okay. I don't like communists. Okay. These are people that actually line people up and shoot them. Right. So when I hear a guy talking about these things in a positive way, like the Venezuelan government or the Cuban government, that's a, I have a problem with that. I mean, this is a guy who is a strident liberal saying these things. And this is what people should have been saying if the Democratic Party wanted to maintain some level of sanity instead of, you know, veering off to this this left wing cliff that they're going over. And so now some of the people are viewing this and saying, we, if we run this guy, the red meat Okay, this guy is this guy is going this is going to be a Reagan Mondale repeat. Now it may not be quite that bad, but I think it would be a landslide if he if he's the standard bearer for their party. Well, I, I don't disagree with that, and I think that's part of the issue is that they they want something, but they don't want this something. You know what I mean? They want how do I say they they want a change and all of them are trying to tack to the left, but none of them actually want to produce a viable candidate. They just want to produce the extremes of everything they can possibly come up with. Right. Well, they're again, their big dilemma is they're in thrall. They are captive to their base and their base is now radical and extreme to, to several degrees of magnitude beyond Barack Obama. For instance, here's a perfect example of this. So you have Mike Bloomberg, right? The reason that Bloomberg <laughs> is in the race spending his billions of dollars that ultimately that he's going to wind up spending is because everyone was deathly afraid the the so-called moderate champion, right? Joe Biden, well, he's he's clearly demonstrated he's past his sell-by date, right? Sure. He's he's already, I mean, he's barely hanging on. So everyone is panicked. Bloomberg realizes we can't have Bernie win. I mm-hmm. need to get I need to be the so-called moderate that that <laughs> takes up that lane in a general election. But have you seen what's happened recently? Oh, so yes. now, of course, the media is digging into some of the things that Bloomberg has said in the past. He now has a Me Too movement problem, right? Mm-hmm. There's all these allegations of sexism and rampant misogyny at his company. Who knows whether that's true or not? But the other thing is, did you see his comments about stop and frisk? Yes. yes. Okay, so Bloomberg actually was a, a strong advocate of that type of policing in New York City, which worked, right? New York City yes. was a cesspit, and it's rapidly descending into the same type of cesspit under de Blasio. Um, yes. But so Bloomberg made comments t- essentially to the effect that the reason that stop and frisk is effective is because, yeah, there's a lot of crime committed by African-Americans. Okay, mm-hmm. that is not a, that should not be a controversial thing to say, but of course, you can't possibly admit these sorts of things in 2020 America. And so now what he's had to do is backtrack and do this groveling apology, essentially renouncing all of these policies that here's, you know, here's the irony that are most effective to protect the African American community. In other mm-hmm. words, the people that were preying on minorities in New York City were other minorities, but you're not allowed to say that. And the people <laughs> that were demanding for their families police protection from the from the drug dealers and the gangs and the rampant predators were African Americans. But Michael Bloomberg, because he's now in the Democratic Party and that party has gone insane, is not allowed to say any of those things because he will be cast into outer darkness. And so he has to issue a Soviet style apology for acknowledging reality. 
Well, and, and that's part of the problem we find with the Democratic Party. They don't exist in the same reality that the rest of the world exists in. They don't list, resist in, exist in reality. They exist in this world where everything is upside down and backwards because they don't want to acknowledge that crime exists. Because if we acknowledge crime exists, then stop and frisk makes sense. But if we say crime doesn't exist in the way you think it does, therefore it's a bad policy. Now, you could debate the merits of stop and frisk. But if you're really trying to cut down on crime, you go to where the crime is and you put a stop to it or you just let it go. And then, then you have other issues. And I agree with you that this was a community in New York City, black community, uh, you know, immigrant communities where there was a lot of crime. And, that, and if you look historically across any country, the the poorest the most disenfranchised are the ones who are preyed upon most by crime. That doesn't mean there isn't white collar crime. Doesn't mean that people in in downtown Manhattan are are not existing with crime. But it just feels like we forget the reality of the situation because it doesn't fit our narrative and our our biases. So therefore, we have to dis- distance ourselves. He well, was a darling. Not even, it's not even forgetting the reality. It's that the Democratic Party is so overtaken by identity politics. Mm-hmm. Right. That they're not, there are just certain things that cannot be said. It, it's, you know, it's, it's an Orwellian situation. And so for instance, they're always clamoring for, we need to have a conversation, right? They always want conversations about things. What they really want is a monologue. They don't want a right. conversation because the minute that anyone says anything along the lines of what Michael Bloomberg said, which again is consistent with reality, here's a harsh reality. The vast majority of violent crime in this country, uh, certainly disproportionate to their share of the population is committed by African-American males. That there is, there is no dispute about that. That's not something I'm making up. Those are FBI department of justice statistics. Anyone who's interested, go ahead and look at them. Now, Mm -hmm. can we have a reasonable debate over a few things? For instance, are there also instances where the police have, uh, abuse their authority. Absolutely. Yep. Has, has that impacted minority communities? Absolutely. Now we can have a discussion about how pervasive that is. I think it's been wildly overblown and the statistics prove that, but nevertheless, you'd have to be blind to say that there haven't been instances in this country and certainly given its history that the justice system has been stacked against certain individuals, particularly minorities at different places and in different times. And that should be ferreted out aggressively right? Dirty cops, racist cops should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. But while we're having that conversation, we should also be able to say the African-American community has a massive crime problem because the statistics that they always want to compare is they say, oh, well, the incarceration rate for African-Americans vastly outstrips their percentage of the population. That is not the relevant comparison. The relevant comparison is, is it proportionate to the pool of criminality? In other words, the people that are being arrested. And when you look at that, the people that are committing the crimes are the ones that are being arrested and convicted for those crimes. So it is a complete fallacy to say, well, because African-Americans represent a certain smaller percentage, there's too many of them being incarcerated. No, that's, again, you're completely ignoring what the relevant data point is, which is how much crime are they responsible for? We as Americans should be able to have a zealous vigorous conversation over those issues and talk about socioeconomic problems, talk about poverty. There's a whole host of issues there, but in the democratic party, that is no longer allowed. It has been ruled out of bounds. And if you want to talk about it in any honest way, you will be, you will be canceled. You will be 
you know, you're going to be ostracized, you're going to be ridiculed, and you're going to be demonized. And all of those Democratic candidates realize this, and so no one talks about it. So do you believe there's inherent racism in the United States, endemic? Because that's what we're being told from the Democratic Party and from the mainstream media. There's endemic, substantial racism throughout the country. You just don't realize it, but it's racism. Do you no. believe that's true? No, I don't believe that's true. Now, again, hear me when I say I'm not somebody who thinks that racism doesn't exist. Of course it exists. And of course it exists everywhere. There are always going to be people with us that are racist. Okay. And that, that goes for white on black. See, that's the other thing is the conversation. You're never allowed to acknowledge that African-Americans or other minorities can be racist as well. It's only a one-way street. We've talked about this. The workshops that they frequently have for this sort of stuff, for this consciousness raising, one of the rules, the ground rules is the only people that are allowed to be or that can be racist are white people. So in other words, you can't, and, and, and again, out of the same, the other side of their mouth, they say, but we want to have an honest conversation. Really. Yes, exactly. All evidence to the contrary. Right. Right. So, no, I don't think. And I think, again, it's it's this narrative. And this goes back to the State of the Union. So when Donald Trump is pointing out, for instance, that whatever you think of him personally, and, and I find the the indictment of him as a racist to be incredibly flimsy to the point of non-existence. Right. I, I always want to ask people, what specifically are you saying when you claim that Donald Trump is a racist? What is your evidence? Usually the evidence is, well, he made a comment about Charlottesville. Right. It's all the uh, very fine people. Right. It's that quote. That's pretty right. much the, the full extent of the indictment. But the point is, is that the media perpetuates this victimization narrative and casts it as this is everywhere. That's not a way to win, win voters. Okay. It maybe galvanizes your base, but it certainly doesn't win over new people who are actually looking around and saying, I don't see this going on. Right. Well, and I want to, I want to bring this up because I think it's important for people to remember we talk about the inherent racism in this country and I'm not saying there wasn't racism. I'm saying there still isn't racism. I think it was more prevalent in our past than it is in our present, but it's not gone. But I think too often we're going to, the 1619 project being a, a very blatant example. Okay. Racism existed in 1619 because slavery became part of the lexicon of our country. Uh, the people from that time period don't live today. They're not here. So you're painting a broad brush from 400 plus years ago, almost 500, and saying, boom, this is what everybody thinks about today. This is the way everybody thinks today. And I don't believe that, but that's what you're constantly being told. You, Tony, you are a, an over racist. You just haven't admitted it to yourself yet. You're doing it every day. You just don't admit it. Therefore, you're just blinded to it. But it's there. And I think there we, when we look at micro expressions, microaggressions, and, and all that stuff, and I, I hate hearing that because of microaggression. What? Because somebody cut you off in traffic? Is that a microaggression? Because somebody uh, gave you a look that you think you interpreted one way as a microaggression? It's not a microaggression. Just it's life. People are going to look at you strange. People are going to not like you accept that. It doesn't mean you're racist. It just means I don't like you or you don't like me or vice versa. But we're too often looked at from the past saying, well, this is what happened in the past. So therefore we're all painted with that brush going forward and you can't ever get back to it until we tell you how to think and until you do everything we want. And here's the reality. And we've talked about this many times. 
It's never going to be enough. Whatever we do to satisfy the people who, again, were not living at that time period, neither were we. We do reparations, you're going to want more. Well, you need to give reparations to this particular group that had three people in it 4,000 years ago. And, and you know, when they, cro- they crossed the land bridge first, so therefore you've got to take care of them because there's a one ancestor left alive. That stuff, where does it come from? And, and I think we talked a little bit about this in the past, but with reparations, how do you, how do you say to the, the uh, Japanese uh, Americans who came here in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, hey, you know what? We're all racist. You got to pay a fair share of reparations to people you didn't know in, in a country you didn't even live in and have ancestors in until 50 years ago. Well, what about the Japanese Americans who uh, were interned, who were yeah. uh, in internment camps because uh, you know during World War II? Right. I, I think the bigger problem is that identity poli- politics, in and of itself, is an inherently racist ideology. And what I mean by that is, its primary supposition is that you need to think, you need to believe things consistent with your skin color. There's an expectation that. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. I mean, this oh, I know, is, I know. This is made explicit. If you are an African American, you are expected to vote in a certain way, to think in a certain way, and if you want to see particular venom towards people, see how conservative African Americans are treated by those oh, on the left who view them as as race traitors. Okay, you hear every epithet in the book, Uncle Tom's, right? And so, this idea that your skin color defines how you should think is a direct outgrowth of the view uh, of this identity politics view where there's this hierarchy of victimization and victimization in, in today's sort of coin, coin of the realm in today's America, it gives you power. The more that you can claim you're a victim, the more power that you wield. And that may sound absurd, but if you look around, that's exactly what goes on. Claim victim status and you will have the ability to exercise political power, at least within the Democratic Party. And the problem is that's what leads to conversations like believe all women. Like, well, mm-hmm. wait a minute. Um, we shouldn't believe anybody uncritically, man, woman, alien, whatever. When you say <laughs> believe all women, you're dispensing with all the foundational concepts like due process that this country rests on because you would rather – have an out. You don't care whether someone is innocent. You're more interested in a collective outcome. And you know what? Again, it's the whole expression in order to, you know, foment the revolution, you know, make an omelet, you got to crack some eggs. Well, Mm -hmm. that, that mindset is inconsistent with, with um, American ideals. And that's entirely the project right now of the political left. And you're right. And I often hear we're all the same except why are we always trying to show how different we are by being the same? You know, if it, if I'm the same as you and you're the same as somebody else, why, why is it? Well, again, I don't think we're all the same. I think we're all humans, but we're all different. And I think that's okay. And it should be an okay situation to have, but we're never going to be the the identity politics and the, the me too. I think the believe every woman comes out because in the past women were not believed. So now we, we swing that pendulum to the opposite direction and say, well, now every woman has to believe in spite of evidence to the contrary, or in spite of, uh, you know, just because I said, so that it's true, you know, not because I'm chasing 
fame or glory. I, I just, I, because I said, so you have to believe me. And there's, there's, there's absolute truth to the fact that historically many people, women, minorities, there's marginalized people that have been victim victimized that, that have not been believed when they should have been believed. But the answer, the answer to those kind of wrongs is not to implement exactly the same system of injustices as payback. Mm-hmm. That just doesn't, first of all, it, it doesn't work. And, and all you've done is you're basically doing exactly the same thing of the people that you are decrying and saying, and essentially what it is, it's our turn. It's our yeah. turn to victimize other people. Well, right. that may feel emotionally satisfying, particularly <laughs> when you're in power, but it doesn't work very well as a governing philosophy. And again, when we hear all of this happy talk about tolerance and you know diversity, it doesn't mean anything because it is highly selective. We tolerate only those ideas uh, and those people who agree with us, and we want skin pigment diversity, but we certainly don't want intellectual diversity because yeah. There are viewpoints that are out of bounds, and so we won't accept them. And they have been. I, I think of I think of a football game where a ref makes a bad call, and you always hear the announcers say, "Oh, there'll probably be a makeup call." And then they they get another call that seems a little suspicious, like, "Oh, that's the makeup call." I don't want makeup calls. Call it fair from the start and from the completely through. Make it a, an actual right call. And going forward, we should do that, but we can't. We're still painted in the past as how we behaved in the past as, as affecting the future. And you're right. It's a, I got my, my victim group was abused in the past. So therefore we have an opportunity to do the same thing. You know, hazing, hazing in a college campus. Is it okay to haze somebody else? If you were hazed, I don't believe so. I believe hazing is bad in any case, right? But should the, people do should that? The response be, we're going to prevent all hazing. Correct. But it doesn't, that, that's not what they want. No, they want, they want their chance to, to lash out at somebody. And you see it in jobs. You see it in the military. You see it in life in general. There's always somebody who says, well, I was taken advantage of, so now it's my turn to take advantage of you because I got taken in the past. That's not how life should work, but that's how people, thinking again of themselves, it, it, it makes the point that you hear from the, the progressives that we're just trying to make a better place and better world. It's not true. You're trying to get yours and get your your diverse groups. And I, I really think of Sun Tzu, divide and conquer. If you divide the groups of people, they're not fighting you. They're fighting each other. And then you can be the champion who rides in and says, well, just follow me and I'll get you to the promised land. Well, the you problem, never do. The you never problem there. is that when progressives say that they're trying to make a better world, what they really mean is they're trying to make a perfect world. And that world will never exist. And that's a problem because, yes. in other words – they never want to actually compare, for instance, this indictment of capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. Capitalism is an unjust system. It promotes income inequality. And there's all sorts of things that are part of capitalist societies that aren't good, of course, because we live in a fallen world. But they're not actually comparing, as Churchill would say, you know, it's the worst system other than you know, democracy, worst system of government other than all others which have been tried, right? <laughs> worst economic right. system other than all others that have been tried. If you're right. constantly comparing things to a utopian ideal, well, number one, that's you're living in unreality. And number two, that then justifies, if you think you can actually achieve that through central planning, through <laughs> anything becomes justifiable in your own mind because 
Look what we're trying to accomplish. And those people that stand in the way, they're not just wrong. We have to rid ourselves of them, right? This is the, this yeah. is the author authoritarian instinct that underlies that kind of philosophy. That's the philosophy of Bernie Sanders right? If you stand against us, you are on the wrong side of history because apparently they know exactly where history is heading and there can <laughs> never be backsliding, right? It's right. always we're progressing towards something better. Is that historically accurate? No, no. I don't think so. Not, not necessarily. And I, th I think of the, um, I, I just think about when, when we talk about the government knows best, if everybody thinks about, think of the time the government knew better than the people. Anything. I can't think of a time when the government knew better than the people who elected the government. Whether it was, I mean, you can go back to the Revo American Revolution. The American Revolution succeeded in spite of Congress, not because of Congress. And I think people forget that and they get this, hey, we won, so it must have been government that made it happen well no government basically was in the way most of the time they couldn't raise any funds they couldn't get any support they basically made it as challenging as possible for washington to actually win the war but he did anyway uh, the same thing happens throughout his throughout our history we keep thinking government is the answer bernie government's a solution i mean I, I read something this week and you and i talked about it there was a historical a professor who thinks that Bernie Sanders has some pretty good ideas. And I said, wow, this guy thinks Bernie Sanders has good ideas. He's the only doctoral professor, I think, that ever thinks that because I don't know of anybody in economic perspective who thinks Bernie Sanders has good ideas oh, or well. his economic policies are great. Well, not, actually, not legitimate. Not Legitimate people. Uh, if you're going to go by people with PhDs, there's a whole bunch of people with PhDs who think Bernie Sanders has a lot of great ideas. Uh, that's part of the problem with, uh, with our academic culture well, in today's America. That might be the other uh, issue. <laughs> that might be a bigger uh, issue. But but you know what I'm saying? There, Bernie Sanders is up there, and, and I, I watched something John Stossel did on um, YouTube, and Bernie Sanders by far wants to spend more money than any other candidate combined and yet he can't spend enough of your money. When in, when in fact do you think anybody that, is, that says, I know best on how to spend your money, I didn't earn it, but I'm going to take it all and I know how to spend it. Do you think that's a good idea? Does anybody, if I walk up to a person on the street and said, you know what, I'm smarter than you, give me all your money because I know how to deal with it better than you do. What would somebody say to me? They'd laugh in my face. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's what Bernie Sanders is asking. Well, no, that's no. What most of the progressive asking, not asking, taking. See, that's exactly right. So the, the your man on the street example in Bernie Sanders' world is, he's going to ask you, and if you say no, he's going to say, "Well, now I have a government agent that's going to take your wallet anyway," <laughs> and that's the problem. That's yes. the problem is that the people that are convinced of their own superiority and their own virtue dictating to other people, if you're not along for the ride, we're going to have to, as Barack Obama might say, you can ride in the back of the car, and we're going to drive. <laughs> And we're going to drive well, right over that cliff, Thelma and Louise style, you know, singing, uh, you know, Fleetwood Mac songs as we as we crash at the bottom. Um, the, the other, well, the other interesting thing about this conversation is, you know, you look at somebody like Bernie. Okay, this goes back to sort of the media. There's been a number of people who have analyzed his, you know, his outlandish, his ridiculous proposals for spending. Somebody, I think, recently added it up, and his 
proposals for all of his programs, the free everything and the Medicare for all and whatever else is about a hundred trillion dollars. Now you said folks, what our national deficit is right now, Tony. I think the national debt right now is running at what? 20 some trillion. Yes. Is it 22? Something like that. Yeah. So it's it's a fifth of what he wants to spend. (laughs) His proposals over the next 10 years would more than quadruple it's an amount that is more than quadruple of the current national debt and if you really dig into then how he claims he's going to fund this he falls about 93 percent short even (laughs) if you literally took every penny of wealth from the richest americans in the country and confiscated everything and does a single person does a single person on that stage either as a presidential candidate or as a member of the so-called intrepid media, right, who are supposedly holding these people to account, say, that's a fantastical unicornian idea. How in the world can you with a straight face tell the American public that you could fund any of this stuff? Does anyone ever ask Bernie Sanders those questions? No, and and I think it's because there's nobody else on that stage. I think there is a huge lack of understanding of economic principles or even basic finance. The fact that you think there's a hundred trillion dollars to get from somebody or somewhere. If we had a hundred trillion dollars just sitting around, would we have a national debt of $22 trillion? I doubt it. So obviously it's not just here to, for us just to take, unless your idea is I'm going to confiscate the rest of the world's wealth and use it to fund America, which I don't think that's going to work out too well. What? There's no reason this is even, you shouldn't even, no sane person should look at his economic policies and go, wow, that sounds like a good idea. But I understand the college students do it. Am I right? The college students are like, oh yeah, free stuff, free stuff. Sure. But they're they're mush heads. They don't understand reality. And the reality is it's got to come from somewhere. And if you're going to sit in your mommy and daddy's basement and not have a job, where's it going to come from? Because we well, don't make it. The, the other thing is that this has this has a moral component, right? So uh-huh. in other words, it's not just debating a bunch of numbers. Mm-hmm. And, and this gets back to some of the critiques of capitalism, right? Because they always they always express those critiques as it's an unjust system. Again, the, the counter to that is please tell me which system in a in a human world is not. Right. They they can't come up with one, but they, they want to ignore that. But here's the other thing. It's not just that we can't afford it. It's that the things that he are propo- that he's proposing to do by force are profoundly immoral. Redistributing other people's wealth. Okay, I'm not just talking about general taxation, right? We understand that the government has to be funded. There are certain core functions of government. If we don't have taxation, I'm not somebody that's saying the government cannot tax. Why not? What I am saying is when you're proposing confiscating wealth and income at that level, you are you are using the force of government coercion to take to take what other people have earned right now of course they're going to say oh they didn't earn it they, all the rich people in america inherited all their wealth that's actually false most yeah. most very wealthy entrepreneurs that's exactly what they were they built themselves up sure there are people like donald trump that inherited you know 200 million dollars from their father yes there are but many other people built that from the sweat of their brow, right? From toiling and toiling for years, from inventing things, whatever. How is it moral 
to say to those people, because we think that you are not going to use this properly. And by the way, we're also envious of the fact that you have too much money and we're going to get to decide how much you should have. That's immoral. Not to mention the fact that when you have ideas like we're going to ban fracking, we're going to ban natural gas. You're Okay, so now you're going to relegate millions of people to a situation where not only is it bad for our security, it's bad economically. These are decisions that have moral impacts, and I would argue they're incredibly immoral policies at multiple levels. No one on that side of it ever talks about that in terms of what they're proposing because they're assumed to be virtuous. Well, they're assumed to be virtuous because they're giving away free stuff, but it's not really free. It's Again, the, the lack of economic understanding from the people cheering Bernie think they're getting free stuff doesn't cost them anything until they realize, oh, wait a minute, they're taking my money too. Whoa, wait, I don't want that. I don't want my money going to somebody else. That's the, the lie that they never seem to quite grasp. And you're right, the, the media never asked those questions like, well, wait a minute, how can you only raise taxes on the rich to pay $100 trillion? Oh, you know, I'm just gonna take it from the rich, you know, like, oh yeah, yay, Bernie. That's not reality. I mean, did you see the Bernie Bernie was in Nevada and these two ladies got up and wanted to protest the use of cows? So they were topless and Bernie looked uh, flustered. It's just that's 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 at the ultra left of the Democratic Party, and he's still not left enough for some of these people. That's the that's the direct. That's what you're pandering to. You're not pandering to the people who might actually go out and work. You're pandering to the people who want to dump red paint on themselves and tell you you're you're murdering animals for food. Right. That that's right. and you're also you're, you're pandering to the people who are fellow travelers. Who mm-hmm. again, this is a guy. This is a guy who admired certain aspects of the Soviet Union. This is a guy, even though he now denies it, because of course that's politically, you know, it's cyanide. Um, this is the guy who admired. The, the Venezuela regime. Go ask somebody right now who's living in Venezuela whether that's a moral system. Now, <laughs> what you'll hear from the media, and they're already rolling this out now, is well, Bernie isn't really for capital S socialism, right? He's for so called <laughs> democratic socialism. Uh-huh. I would love for them. And then what it is, he's for, you know, Sweden. He's for <laughs> the Norwegian countries. Well, yeah. first of all, if you actually look at how those economies run, mm-hmm. They have, for instance, the tax rates that Bernie wants to impose, both corporate and individual, they're not even close. There's a lot more free enterprise there. In other words, those systems bear no resemblance. What they basically are are capitalist economies that have higher individual taxes, value-added taxes, because they have a, a large welfare state, okay? That is not what Bernie is proposing. Bernie is proposing government control over major sectors of our economy. Over healthcare, over energy, his tax rates, particularly corporately, are hugely higher than in any of those countries. And so when he tells you that his model is so-called Sweden's model or Denmark's model, it's baloney. His model is essentially the Venezuelan model because the guy's a true believer. He's a guy that went to Cuba and actually lauded the fact that there were bread lines. You know what he said? (laughs) He said, well, it's better It's better to have bread lines and people that are starving, as if he doesn't even understand what's going on there, right? <laughs> no one will talk about the fact that these types of governments always descend into tyranny because you know what? That's a feature for these people. 
Remember yeah. the Project Veritas stuff where they were talking yep. to these guys who were working for Bernie that are his kind of campaign managers? Every single one of them on board with gulags, on board with criminalizing political dissent. This is the nature of that ideology. Well, it, it ends in tyranny, as you said, and it sadly, you know, people get fed up after a while saying, I don't want to stay in the red line anymore. There's food to be had, and I know you're eating it. Why can't well, I have some of it? The food. What's that? The more equal pigs have the food. Yeah, exactly. And they could because they need to keep their energy up to centrally plan everything. Well, it, it never works. It never works. Let's let's transition a little bit. Um, uh, how do I say this without sounding uh, ho-hum? 2,000 prosecutors want AG Barr to resign, so we should care why. Oh, you mean all the, the members of the DOJ? Yeah, I, like I care. I, 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 everybody who signed, this is the, this is the lie to me that Barack Obama put in place. If you get a petition with enough signatures, we'll <laughs> listen to you. I don't care how many people sign a petition. I don't care. Petitions are nothing to me and they're nothing to the people you present them to. Barack Obama didn't take anything you wrote in a petition. Seriously. He just made you feel like he took you seriously 2000 doj uh, former prosecutors i don't care what you think 2000 historians think donald trump should be impeached i don't care what you think you're 2000 people you're not representative of the country you're 2000 people well so again, what again it's sort of the appeal to this alleged authority um yeah. you're not 2000 historians you're 2000 leftist political activists. Yeah. I don't really care that you're a historian. I don't care if you're a dentist. I don't care if there's 2000 construction workers. It doesn't matter. That's fine. You can have that opinion, but sure. this appears to be kind of like a weekly thing now where, yeah. you know, some group is, and by the way, if you read anything about that, this was all organized. This is not, this is portrayed as this sort of, you know, grassroots uprising. Yes. No, yes. no, 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 no. This is, again, well-financed. And look, this goes on on both sides. Let's not pretend. Sure. But sure. the point is, every I, I yawn, right? It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So there's 2,000 people that detest Donald Trump who all will vote for whoever the Democratic candidate is, and they want William Barr to resign because they're angry that he's actually doing his job. Okay. Yeah. Next. Well, it, yeah, exactly. It, it's about the Roger Stone uh, sentencing. Now, what are your thoughts on that? Because, I mean, I've heard the, the gamut here. Roger Stone being, they were, they were saying they're going to do nine years and a rapist gets four on average. Okay. Yeah. Is that, is that a fair or is this just to punish Trump's, Trump's cohort? I'm assuming that was a rhetorical question. That you <laughs> it was a rhetorical question. So again, but it, it, what you need, right. to, need to pay attention to is that all of these same outraged DOJ people they're on the forefront of criminal justice reform, right? And what is one of the major uh, legs to that stool is nonviolent criminals are being over-incarcerated. It's an injustice. Huh. Roger Stone is a 70-year-old man who was basically prosecuted for process crimes. One of the things that he was prosecuted for is he made these sort of grandiose kind of threats. The person that he was threatening said, I just took none of it seriously. 
And in terms of sentencing him, the nine year for a first time offender for a nonviolent crime of this type was so outlandish. It's like unprecedented. By the way, who was the team of prosecutors that was doing this? Oh, they're all tied to the Mueller, the Mueller probe, right? These <laughs> they are all, signed in protest. Right. These are all within the axis of Robert Mueller. So they're getting their final, you know, essentially salvo against somebody to punish this guy. So all the people that would normally be on the ramparts screaming about this, if instead of a 78-year-old white guy who likes Donald Trump, if it was a 24-year-old African-American or Latino, this would be exhibit A in why sentencing has to be reformed. So it's all about the fact that this is a way to get somebody who has aligned himself with Donald Trump. It was entirely appropriate for the deep, for, for Barr to look at this and say, this is completely out of bounds in terms of what our normal sentencing guidelines would be. Now, there's if you really want to dig into this, Andy McCarthy, who's a brilliant guy, wrote a, an extensive column about this. And one of the things that he said was, if you actually apply the sentencing guidelines sort of hyper-technically, you could conceivably justify this. But it does not resemble anything that the DOJ would typically do in the real world in this context. So it's a politicized sentencing recommendation, which again, we have this two tiered system. If you like Donald Trump and you're within his orbit, you're going to get the book handed to you. Perfect example of this. Did you see the news story that and the DOJ is not going to prosecute Andrew McCabe? Yes. Okay. Now remind me, Chad, remind the listeners, what uh -huh. did Andrew McCabe admit to doing? Lying to his Lying own agents, to FBI agents, mm -hmm. intentionally, knowingly, because he was the source of a leak relating to the Hillary Clinton investigation. He denied this, claimed he knew nothing about it, and then when he felt the political heat and realized, uh oh, oh, you know what? Yeah, we had a little misunderstanding. I was actually the guy. Now, contrast that with General Michael Flynn. What was he, what did they spend the last two years indicting him for? Supposedly lying, but not really. Lying to the FBI, even though his lie, the individuals who interviewed him under false pretenses, when they had a transcript, the initial FBI conclusion was he did not lie. So they've spent two years bankrupting this guy, threatening his family with further prosecutions, forcing him. He's now, of course, contesting his his plea. Sure. But compare and contrast the treatment of Roger Stone, uh, Andrew McCabe, mm -hmm. who's admitted to lying to his own investigators and the treatment of Michael Flynn. And then try to tell somebody who's watching these two things that we have sort of neutral justice, impartial justice, non-politicized justice in this country. And this is another one of the reasons that I believe that Donald Trump's going to be reelected because people see this mm -hmm. and they see the perversion of our justice system and our criminal laws as political cudgels against people that we don't like. Well, and that's, I, th I think what people also see is that those who are well connected, those who are high placed don't seem to suffer the same as those who aren't. It, the, the same thing as you're talking about, the same people who would rail against a 24 year old, black man or Hispanic man being railroaded into jail don't seem to have a problem when Hillary Clinton or Andrew McCabe or James Comey or James Clapper or anybody else in that ilk doesn't get nothing seems to happen to them. Right. Comey yeah. writes a best-selling book. Clinton 
she makes millions of dollars because of her connections. When people see that, I think they go, wait a minute, I'm not connected. I would go to jail for the same offense. You know, I, I broke the trust of the United States and I had stuff on my home server that I wasn't supposed to have, or I lied to the FBI. It just, it, it boggles my mind that people think that at least on that side, think it's okay to do whatever you want. Because again, I know best, I'm smarter than you shut up and let me do my thing because it's okay. I, I don't know if Michael, I don't think Michael Flynn should, should go to jail. I, I think he shouldn't have lied to Pence, but whether or not that's, that's not a jailable offense necessarily. Yeah, but that has nothing to do with his indictment. No, no. And I think Andrew McCabe should go to jail. I think James Comey should go to jail. I think James Clapper should go to jail. And I think Hillary Clinton should have gone to jail and should still go to jail. And I'm thinking you could take Bill and put her in there with her because I don't think he's done anything uh, up, upright and upstanding. Well, I thought the extra special part of Andrew McCabe's situation, of course, because he's now a paid political yes. analyst on CNN, because of course he is. Yes. Um, he then he then has, I'll tell you, you know, the guy has some chutzpah, right? <laughs> he then goes on TV and says, basically, you know, I'm glad that I have been vindicated. And oh. how dare they drag me and my family through these through this investigation? And I'm thinking to myself, you you've got some stones on you, buddy. Okay, so so you're going to now play the victim card when you're one of the key players in all of this farcical stuff that was going on. You're colluding with people. You're leaking. But you're going to now claim that, uh, you know, please feel bad for me that this yes. happened. I, I mean, there a GoFundMe page for him. There is an advantage to shamelessness, I guess, is that, you know, it, you can say anything because if you lack shame, then it doesn't really matter. And no. these people are all the same. Uh, and I think that's probably the justification to go after Trump because he's a shameless braggart. So it's okay to go after him and make stuff up and create whatever you want. I, I think, I think none of it should happen uh, on both sides. I don't think this should happen on either side. Of course not. There's, there should be, if we all want the same thing. And I think deep down, most of these people on both sides want the United States to be successful, want us to be popular, not popular necessarily, but they want us to be successful uh, economically and strategically and security-wise. But there just seems to be, you know, there's very two different ways of looking at it, whereas on the Republican side, they want to get along and they want to, I feel like most cases, they want to work together to solve the problems. And really, the Democrats just want to demonize the Republicans so that they can gain more power. They don't ever actually want to solve a problem. I'm not saying every Republican wants to solve the problem because sometimes it's it's politically expedient to have the problems. But I've I've yet to see in my lifetime a Democrat who really wanted to solve the problems. They just wanted to talk about solving the problems, but not actually doing it because to do so would make them no longer necessary. Oh uh, well, that's that last problem. Very, that's very well said because that really is. Uh, the issue for them is if you start losing your constituency, if you can't convince them that they're continually victimized and oppressed, then you can't win elections anymore. Mm -hmm. And so what it comes down to is we can't really acknowledge economic prosperity. We can't acknowledge this stuff because that cuts into our ability to continually tell our base 
that there's all sorts of people that are t- trying to marginalize and crush them. And if right. we can't tell them that, maybe they're not going to vote for us and then we don't have power. So it becomes this self-perpetuating cycle. I love that uh, you know, there's that meme that's out there where it shows all of the Democratic-run cities. We've talked about this before, yes. right? Yes. Detroit, you go down the list, Oakland, all of these, you know, Chicago, right? And it says last Republican governor, last Republican mayor, and it's decades. It's yep. decades. And yet, what do you still see being blamed for the entrenched poverty, the entrenched crime, the entrenched dysfunction? Somehow, it's still never the people that have been running those places monolithically for 40 or 50 years. Well, you want to try something new? I don't know. Yeah. Do something. Well, I, I think of New Orleans when Katrina came in. And how the Bush FEMA response was the reason there were so many issues. It wasn't the fact that our government, our local government, did not maintain the levees. It was that Bush didn't get there fast enough with the FEMA dollars and the FEMA tents and the FEMA trailers. So it's always blaming somebody who's not responsible for your current plight because their response isn't sufficient to get you out of that situation. That bothers me. What do you, what do you right now? Of course, politics is week to week. Things are going to change. Between, what do you put the percentage odds of Donald Trump winning reelection right now? I don't think it matters who the Democrats nominate. I think, uh, now here, I, this is interesting. I heard, uh, I heard somebody say they thought that Donald Trump would still not win the popular vote, but still win the electoral college, uh, in the, in the 2020 election. I don't know if I'd say that. I think he's going to win the popular vote. I think the chance he wins electoral college vote, I think it's at least 80% right now. Because I haven't seen yeah, – and I, I'm biased, obviously. It's what? What do you think? I'm biased. So I obviously think that's I, – I just sure. – I have not seen anything on the other side. Now, I think there's going to be – We both we both come from a conservative perspective, but but I agree. I actually think right now – Okay, assuming that these trend lines continue, and they may not. There may be sure. a whole bunch of things that happen. They, that sure. always does. But I think he's over 90%. Oh. Uh, I mean, I don't think they have a viable person to run against him. Every one of the people that is now essentially the last one standing have huge liabilities. It's just mm-hmm. a question of how bad their liabilities are. And if if they nominate Sanders, this becomes an electoral college landslide. If they nominate someone like Klobuchar or Buttigieg, uh, I think Biden's done. I don't think Biden. I think he's he's already in like augering into the ground. I think he's done. <laughs> um, I think it'll be probably a little bit closer. But given the way the economy is going right now, given how this entire impeachment farce has backfired for them, mm-hmm. the Democratic Party has a major problem. And what I'm interested to see is. What is the next level? How much further can you ratchet the hysteria than what we've already seen for the last four years? I don't know what you can do, right? I mean, there's only so many therapy puppies in the world. There's only so many Hitler analogies that you can use. I really don't know where emotionally these people are going to go because they've been assuring us for the last four years, last three years that we've been living in some sort of nightmare, right? Mm -hmm. Where the the Trump trucks and the Trump train cars <laughs> show up and haul all the dissidents away. So yeah. I really am kind of expecting some kind of implosion if that happens. Well, I think 
I think if Sanders doesn't get the nomination, I think there's a huge split in the Democratic Party, which I think just assures Trump a victory. And I think if he does get the nomination, I agree with you. I think there's a huge electoral college swing because I don't think he polls well. He polls, I think, nationally in the big cities, maybe a little bit higher. But I think anywhere that's not a, a major city, he's he's a disaster. You know, the fact that John Kerry thinks he might have to come in to, to rescue the Democratic Party from Bernie tells you how bad, you know, we said that before, if, if John Kerry is your savior, you're in real bad shape uh, because well, there's got to be a lot of better options. Any of the carpet bombing political ads yet, if it's Bernie, I know. Oh. it's going to be unceasing because yeah. the, the ammunition against this guy goes back for decades. <laughs> so well, yeah. the, the, the Trump White House is praying that Bernie Sanders somehow you know, wins this nomination. And again, most of the power brokers within the Democratic Party establishment are ready to do anything to prevent him from being the nominee. But to your point, if they do that, it's going to be a political civil war within their party. And the Bernie bros are not going to show up and get behind whoever it is no. that was used to force Bernie out. They're not rallying around Buttigieg or Biden or whoever else is going to be propped up. And so it's almost like an unfixable problem for them right now. Well, ironically, they changed the superdelegates after 2016 to look like they were open to changing, which will keep them from eliminating Bernie when they should have. And, and you are 100% right. The Bernie bros are not going to accept this. Bernie may run as a third party, which just destroys the Democratic base because now you split the ticket and it makes no, you're done. You're that done. be It'll be sort of the reverse Ross Perot effect, right? Yes. <laughs> Bernie, Bernie is incensed and says, I'm running as an independent. And now he's safe. I mean, if that happens, they might as well just start planning for 2024. It's over. Yeah. Well, can you imagine the, the political ad where Donald Trump comes with a voiceover and says, they accuse me of being soft on Russia, but I didn't, vac I didn't honeymoon in Russia. You know, can you see the ads? I mean, it, it, it writes itself. You don't even have to. How can you say with a straight face, Bernie isn't a Soviet supporter when he honeymoons there or he went well, the, to Cuba? How can you not say that? That he doesn't even try to lie about this stuff. No. Right. Normally, it's we have to package it as a moderate and hopefully we can skate through with the help of the media. Bernie is out and proud. He's not going to deny any of this. No. And it's it's not the it's not the Boris Yeltsin Russia, it's the Gorbachev and Brezhnev and it's it's the hardline Soviet Russia that he that he honeymooned in, not you know the softer, cuddlier '90s mid '90s uh, Russia. I I, I just think it's fascinating that for the last three and a half years, Russia hoax, uh, impeachment. This is a guy who legitimately thinks highly of the Soviet system of the communist system. What <laughs> can you, and, and, no, and AOC is right. Only in America could Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden be in the same democratic party. Now, technically Bernie Sanders is not in the democratic party, which we all seem to forget. Right. He's only running as a Democrat. He is not a Democrat. <laughs> so 
that's ironic in, in and of itself, but it's going to be fascinating. But I think I do not see anybody on the Democratic side. Now, does Hillary make another run? I no. doubt it. I don't think I think it's too late for her. Uh, Buttigieg has no national appeal that I can see other than well, Ellen. That he has no appeal to the African-American base, which means no. that that's political suicide for yeah. them. He's dead in the water. He can win Iowa, but he can't win anywhere there's an African-American population of any size. Uh, Biden, you're right. He's auguring into the ground, but we always knew he would. You know, he's that backup quarterback who looks good until he actually gets in the game. And you're going, wow, I remember why he's the backup. His chance I remember why he's not the starter. Um, when he was still semi-coherent now, he's just, you know, as Glenn Reynolds says, it's the, the gaffomatic, right? He just, (laughs) I mean, do you see how almost like aggressively hostile he is when he's Mm -hmm. confronted at the, these are at his own democratic, you know, campaign stops, the things, the, uh, the dog faced pony soldier. Yeah. What what the heck does that mean? Stuff that he's doing. Well, he, it's it's bizarre. I mean, there's no other way to look at it. He just comes off with incoherent gibberish, and we're supposed to take this guy seriously. As now, you can say whatever you want about Trump, but at least his wor- he uses actual words most of the time that make sentences. You can't say that about Biden and and Klobuchar. Uh, I think the country's ready for a female president, but I don't think it's her. The other so, thing. And, and we'll, you know, we'll kind of finish up on this note, I think. But yeah. the other thing that should terrify Democrats that are kind of watching this unfold, did you take a look or do you happen to see the the sort of the turnout totals for Trump? Now, remember, Trump is running in an uncontested primary, right? right? So in other words, people going out to the polls for it's pointless, essentially, he's going to win. But like in New Hampshire, I saw a graphic where Trump was over something like 120,000 people that that turned out. And if you looked, they, they compared it historically to Clinton, Obama, Bush. It was like by 40 or 50,000. And did you see, for instance, he's having this rally in New Jersey, 100,000 mm-hmm. showing up to a rally in New Jersey. Yeah. There, if I'm somebody who's a Democratic strategist watching because this is what happened in 2016. Remember, they all laughed at this idea, this anecdotal evidence that, you know, oh, baloney, who cares if he can fill a 50,000-seat stadium? That's meaningless. Well, you know what? It seems like that's going on even more mm-hmm. this time. And in areas where he shouldn't be pulling people to come out and support him, if that if that has anything to do with the reality on the ground, again, it is going to be a very unhappy day at MSNBC. <laughs> Well, let's hope for that uh, going forward. I, I truly hope that's what we're hearing. And I look forward to November of 2020 here and what we see. I mean, I, it was fun to watch in 2016. I can only imagine it'll be more fun to watch in 2020. I could be wrong. We, we I mean, neither one of us thought Trump was going to get the nomination in 2016. So I was surprised by that as well, just like everybody else, except maybe Donald Trump. But I do not. I can't foresee anybody on the other side. Now, it's not the general. It, it's primaries, so different animals we've spoken about before, but I just don't see them exciting anybody. There's, the base is not going to be excited. Even my Michael Bloomberg saying, I'm going to spend whatever it takes to win the presidency. Okay. You're still just Michael Bloomberg. 
if more, you better start hoarding the large sodas. Yeah. <laughs> Vote for me or you can't have big soda. Yeah, it, and large sodas. It, it's going to be very fun to watch as time goes on. But you're right. That's all we've got for tonight. Thank you for joining us. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. This has been a Hannah Tree production.